Let's come to our time of scripture reading together from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, let's go ahead and read this together from the board, or uh, you can read along in your copy of the Word of God. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, we are looking forward to that day. We believe it is soon. We believe that it will be quick. We believe that, Lord Jesus, you are coming physically to reclaim your people, to complete our salvation, to bring judgment upon those who are your enemies, and to establish your reign forever and ever in the eternal age. Lord, that is our hope, to see our friends and loved ones who have gone before us to rise It is our hope to see you in the air. It is our hope to see you reigning forever and ever, as we know you already do. But Father, to see it. Lord Jesus, to see you face to face. What a day. And Lord, as we look upon your face, we will bring, it will bring such perspective to everything we have faced here. So many things that are confusing and scary. So many things that are hurtful and difficult. But when we see your face, we will know it has been worth it all to know you. Lord, you are enough for us. You are God. You are our Lord and Savior. And if there's one here this morning who does not know you, May this time be a time of reckoning that they will reckon with their own hearts. Lord, they may have walked an aisle, they may have prayed a prayer, they may have written their name in a Bible, and yet there's been no change in their lives. There's been no fruit of salvation. Lord, we pray that there would be a time of reflection this morning as we look upon that time that you will return. And as we do, Lord, I pray that your spirit would encourage us, strengthen us. Lord, we know that you are in control. You're in control of politics. You are in control of elections. You are in control of viruses. You are in control of natural disasters. You are in control of all the evil on this earth and you use it for your purposes. And I pray the purpose this morning would be to lead us closer to you. 
if not in salvation for the first time, in sanctification, that we will be more like Jesus Christ. May your words penetrate our hearts this morning. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we have been looking at the last two weeks at um, the deity of our Lord Jesus, or you could say the divinity of our Lord Jesus. You could say the Godhood of Jesus, uh, however you want to say it, and I I use all of that interchangeably. Uh, We're talking about the same thing, that Jesus is God. He's always been God. He always will be God. And there is no shadow of turning or change within him, within his essence. He is eternally God the Son. Uh, It was not something that was made up by the church at the Council of Nicaea, as is sometimes said. It's not something that um, even the New Testament authors just kind of came up with out of nowhere. It's something that was consistently taught in the Old Testament, as we saw two weeks ago. It was something that Jesus consistently um, uh, understood and proclaimed, as we saw last week. We saw his past and his earthly uh, existence, and it seemed almost criminal. I was going to end there, but it seemed almost criminal not to talk about Christ and his coming. We talked about his past. We talked about his present. It seems almost right that we would talk about his future and our future with him. The scriptures give a lot of details about the coming future return of Christ, and and this is a fundamental point of doctrine. It is a fundamental point of orthodoxy to to deny the literal coming of Christ is to not be in adherence with the faith. Um, You may have heard of a doctrine called preterism, uh, full preterism, that says Jesus returned in AD 70, and now we're living in the eternal age. Um, that is heresy because it denies the resurrection. And if Christ, if we are not going to be resurrected, then Christ was not resurrected and we've got all kinds of problems. So this is a fundamental point of orthodoxy. It is a fundamental point. And his first coming was in humility. It was not to judge, but to save. Uh, But his second coming, he will come in glory. He will come in power. He will come reigning And he will come bringing our final salvation and he will come bringing judgment upon those who are his enemy. And there will, mark my words, there will be no mistaking what is going on. As the lightning strikes in the east and is seen from the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And so there will be no mistaking who he is. There are all kinds of people today who are claiming to see Jesus uh, appearing on stage with them in different places. Ironically, it's always somewhere where they don't have cameras. And, uh, and again, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a newspaper in the hand and the Bible in the other hand kind of guy, but um, Jesus said in those days, many will say, he is here, he is there. Look, he's in the wilderness. Don't follow them. That's, we're seeing them today all over TBN. And so, uh, so don't follow them. They're heretics. They're trying to lead you astray. So, so it would be tempting this morning to get into kind of an outline of prophecy expectations or, or give a particular prophetic point of view. Um, depending on how you want to count them, there's three or four 
Uh, But that really wouldn't serve the purpose of our study. What I wanna do is I want to simply take the Old Testament teaching of the day of the Lord, or more appropriately, the day of Yahweh, and show you that how the Bible is consistent, both past, present, and future, that Jesus is the one who fulfills the day of Yahweh. And being that it is the day of Yahweh, that means that Jesus is God and that the teaching here is consistent. And so now, just by virtue of some of the things we're going to say, we're, you're going to see some of my points of view, but the truths that we point to today are things that are going to be, whether you are dispensational or amillennial or premillennial or one of those weird postmillennial guys, uh, you can, uh, these are going to be truths that all of us can stand on. And, uh, and there's going to be some, a few points of debate, but beyond that, uh, we're going to try to be very clear this morning. The scripture shows us that when he returns, when Christ returns, he returns as God. And that Jesus has always been God past, he is God present, and he will always be God in the future. And our future is to be with him, God with man, dwelling in harmony again. What a day that will be. What a wonderful promise that we have And so we're going to look at this truth in three aspects, and I'm going to do something that's called a textual sermon this morning. Uh, It's not, uh, we're going to look primarily at verses 16 and 17 of the text we read, and we're going to use other texts to kind of fill fill out that truth and give a more broad perspective. So so we are working toward uh, first, we are working in 1 Thessalonians But once again, there's going to be a lot of texts. They'll be on the board so that you can write them down and look at them later. But we're going to look at this truth in three aspects, and they are basically his descent, his details, and the determination at the end. So we're going to see that uh, beginning, first of all, in verse 16, where we see that Christ demonstrates the first aspect of his coming that shows us that he is God, that he fulfills the day of Yahweh, is that it is the descent of our Lord the descent. Look at verse 16. It says, for the Lord himself will will descend from heaven with a shout. The Lord himself will descend. You might want to put your Bible ribbon there and turn to Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus says basically the same thing and there are several connections to this passage Uh, But what we're going to see here is the disturbances that is coming. He says here, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky. uh, And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn for they will see the son of man coming in the clouds of the sky with great power and glory. Notice in that passage, the disturbances that he talked about. Uh, Christ mentions that when he comes, there's going to be these massive signs and these massive disturbances that happen. We see that the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall. The powers of heaven, all of them will be shaken. And if you have a study Bible or you have something that connects that to other passages, you might see that there's quite a selection there. Because every single one of those images come from Old Testament passages that talk about the day of the Lord. 
the day of Yahweh. For example, Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 through 10. You can read about those disturbances. You can also look again in Isaiah 24, verses 21 and 23. Ezekiel, you can see it in Joel. I'll just point to uh, Zephaniah very quickly. Zephaniah, that is in the back of the Old Testament. In uh, chapter one, verses 14 and 16. And here's what he says. He says, now the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Uh, Listen, the day of the Lord, in it the warrior cries out bitterly, a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, destruction and desolation, darkness and gloom, clouds and thick darkness, the day of a trumpet, a battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. Again, all of these come from Old Testament images of when the day of the Lord is going to be here. Each one of these passages connect these disturbances to the day of Yahweh. And in the Old Testament, when Yahweh himself comes, all of these things are going to happen. And yet Jesus and the apostles show consistently that all of these things are fulfilled when Jesus comes back. And again, you just see the connection there that when the Old Testament speaks of the day of Yahweh, the New Testament calls it the day of Jesus in some places. And all of these things are connected to say that when Yahweh returns, it is Jesus who is returning. Jesus is God to the glory of the Father. And one other aspect of his descent is his destination. When he comes, You see, the scriptures tell us not only that he is coming, but he's also going to tell us where he touches down. And in Zechariah chapter 14, we see this very vividly. It says, behold, the day is coming for Yahweh when the spoil taken from you and divided among you. I will gather the nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city will be captured, houses plundered, women ravished, uh, half of the city exiled. The rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. But then Yahweh will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And that text goes on to say that when Yahweh's feet touch the surface, touch the tip of the Mount of Olives, the the mountain is literally going to split in two from the power of his coming. It is, it is going to be a, a massive thing. By the way, there's, a, there's actually a hotel right there. I, I hope no one's staying in it at the time. This also connects with uh, Revelation chapter 16, verse 19, where it talks about the battle of, of the Mount of Megiddo, or better known as Armageddon. Har-Megiddo is the name. The Mount of Megiddo in Revelation 16 and 19. I don't think I actually have this one on the board, so you might wanna write it down. It says that there will be, and then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and the loud voice came out of the temple of the throne saying it is done. Flashes of lightning. Again, we see these disturbances, peals of thunder, great earthquake, all of these things. And watch this, verse 19, the great city was split into three parts. So once again, we see all of these connections and the timing of his coming will be preceded by severe unrest against the Lord's people. The city will be taken, houses plundered, women ravished. They will commit unspeakable crimes against the Lord's people. And then the Lord from heaven will say enough and he will touch down and he will come to fight and bring final judgment on his enemies. And where is it gonna be? 
going to be at the Mount of Olives. He touches down at the Mount of Olives. You say, why is that significant? Do you remember what the angels said to the disciples at the ascension? You remember what they said? He said, men of Israel, why do you look up to the sky? This Jesus, the one who's been taken to you from heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. He'll come in the same way. And when they returned to Jerusalem, guess where they were standing when the angel said that? Mount of Olives, verse 12 in Acts. And so once again, we see that the destination is the same. We see the connection is unmistakable that when Jesus comes, God comes. In the New Testament, under inspiration, when the day of Yahweh comes, the one who is coming is Jesus Christ to the glory of the Father. But there are some other connections that I want you to see and as we look and go back and kind of follow along in 1 Thessalonians, uh, it kind of informs our study this morning. We saw, the, we saw the descent, but let's look at the details. Let's look at the details. In uh, verse 16, it says, back in 1, uh, 1 Thessalonians, it says that he will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God Let's just stop there for a minute. There are, there are some distinct details that we see at the second coming of Christ, and they are summarized in this verse, and, and we're just going to give kind of two summaries here. Uh, but it is worth our time to look at them and, and kind of fill out what Paul is saying here from the rest of Revelation. It says, first of all, that, that one of the details of his coming is that there is going to be a voice of an angel, there's going to be a voice of an angel. The, the scriptures don't say a whole lot about angels. Uh, the scriptures say a lot less than our culture in Hollywood says about them today. Uh, the scriptures really doesn't speak a lot about them. There seems to be some uh, different species, if you will, or different kinds of angels. You have cherubs, for example. You have seraphs, for example. You have uh, living creatures that we find in, in Revelation that are very similar to cherubs. Many times when the angels appear, they have the appearance of men. And they, and they speak in human languages. That's why I get a little cracked up sometimes when charismatics talk about speaking in tongues of angels. I'm kind of like, well, what language do they speak? Every time we see them, we, they're, they're speaking Hebrew and Greek. So, I mean, they're speaking human languages. So, I mean, <laughs> what language do angels speak? Um, and I, I understand that's debatable, but there also seems to be some ranks here. And the reason why there seems to be ranks is because there are angels that are known as archangels, archangels. And, and we don't know exactly what that means, except that they have some sort of rank above all the other angels in heaven. And uh, in Jewish tradition, there were seven of them. And I don't know their names. It's uh, Raphael, Uriel, Gabriel, Michael, and some others. But in Christian tradition, there tends to be only three. And one of them, of course, fell and took a third of the angels with him. And, and that is the angel that became who? Satan. He became the accuser of the brothers. So the name Satan means, means accuser. So his name is Satan. That is Christian tradition. But in spite of tradition, the Bible actually only names one angel as an archangel. 
I don't know if you knew that or not, but there's actually only one angel that goes by that title. And we find that in Jude verse nine, and that is Michael. Michael is the only angel that is actually specifically referred to as an angel. Now, Gabriel has some important things and and so I don't think it is improper to suggest that he might be an archangel. But as I recall, and I see, uh, I see Art looks like he's flipping back there, uh, flipping around to see and test me on this. So tell me if I'm wrong, brother. But as I recall, uh, Gabriel's never actually referred to as an archangel. Uh, Michael is the only one. Michael is mentioned in other places in Revelation chapter 12. But for our purposes, we're gonna look at Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, if you want to turn there, verses 1 and 2. And again, what you see here is that now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And notice this, notice the disturbances are here. There will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. And so, and so for our purposes in Daniel 12, when My- Michael, at the end of that distress that the nation has never seen, Michael will arise, he will go out and he will fight with the Lord, he will fight with the Lord against his enemies. And notice what it says, that it is fa- everyone who is, whose name is found in the book will be rescued. If you want an Old Testament picture of the rapture, it's right here. And he goes on in verse two, how are they gonna be rescued? Well, many who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake at these to everlasting life, but to the others, disgrace and everlasting contempt. So at the theology of Daniel, this happens at the end of the age when the kingdom of God is culminated at the end of the times of distress. And this is exactly what we find at the return of Christ. Matthew 24, our Lord Jesus says that in that day, when he returns, he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet to gather his elect from the four winds and Michael will be at the head of them issuing those commands. He will be at the head. I find it interesting that you see again these these Old Testament texts that show that when the day of Yahweh comes, Michael the archangel is going to be specifically involved. And then when Paul says that when Jesus comes, he will come with the voice of the archangel and the only archangel that is specifically called that in scripture is Michael. So once again, we see these connections that when Jesus comes, God comes. That Jesus fulfills the day of Yahweh. He is the one who comes. That's the first detail is the angel. The second detail is the trumpet. Paul mentions this trumpet both in Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians, speaking of the return of the church. Jesus did also, as we just saw in Matthew 24, And again, at this time, trumpets were used to signal and to gather, and they were used at feast. They were used at times of war, nationally significant events, all of those things. And what is the significance of the trumpet? 
Well, again, if you look in Exodus chapter 19, once again, you find that when God is descending on the mountain and as the nation of Israel gets closer and closer and closer, there is the sound of a loud trumpet that is deafening, that is coming off of the mountain. And the people were so afraid by the disturbances, so afraid by the blasting trumpet that they would not even go on the mountain. They would not even get closer. They said, we need someone to stand between between us and Yahweh. We can't, we can't approach him ourselves. We need someone to stand in the gap. And so Moses, for a time, had to fulfill that. And then the priest began to fulfill that until ultimately one day God provided the perfect one to stand, the perfect mediator, Jesus Christ, to stand between us and God, whose hand can be on both the Lord and us And at that time, the Lord came down to bring the law to them. And you notice that in verses 16 and 19 of Exodus 19, that the trumpet was associated with the very presence of God. So it's not a coincidence that when Christ comes, he comes with the sound of a trumpet. Because that trumpet signifies the very presence of God is now among us. He's now with us. And this is constant throughout the Old Testament, constant. When Yahweh comes, when the day of Yahweh comes, it will be with the sound of a trumpet. You were just in Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter nine, verses 14 and following. Uh, it says that, when, that the Lord will appear over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning and the Lord God, Yahweh, will blow the trumpet. And will march in the storm winds of the south, and the Lord of hosts will defend them. Once again, the connection is clear that when Yahweh comes to gather his people, judge his enemies, when Michael shouts his commands, we will hear the trumpet blast at the day of Yahweh, and it is Jesus whom we will see. Jesus is the one who is coming. He is God, he is coming, and his trumpet will sound. For his elect, it will sound his gathering. For his enemies, it will sound their doom. The question is, which one will you be on that day? Will you be among his elect or will you be among his enemies? Will you be among his sheep or will you be among his goats? By the way, fun fact, this new Bible is made of a goat skin the cover is. I love goatskin Bibles. And they tell me that uh, you can get three Bible covers out of one goat. So, you know, we know the goats are going to hell, but at least we can redeem their skin. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, just to wake you up a little bit. So, um, where was I? Okay, so um, when, when the trumpet sounds, for his elect, it will sound their gathering. For his enemies, it will sound their destruction. And the question is, which one will you be on that day? Which one will you be? Because right now, you have a decision to make. But more than that, you have a Lord to follow. Christ does not call us to a decision. He calls us to discipleship. He calls us to lordship. He calls us 
to repent and believe in the gospel. And so, which one will we be on that day? And that really brings us to the final point of our primary text this morning, which is the determination at his coming. Verses 16, and it really goes through uh, chapter 5, verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul speaks of the immediate results of Christ's coming. It says here in verse 16 that, um, that with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. There's so much more there that I want to talk about, but, but uh, for lack of time, we're just going to talk about this determination. What do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, the immediate results of Christ's coming, when he gives the order, he is, he is focusing here in Paul, uh, he's focusing on the resurrection of the saints. But the fact of the matter is that there's going to be a resurrection and that the, that the result of Christ's coming is that the dead will rise, the dead in Christ will rise to eternal life, the, the, the other dead will rise to eternal uh, condemnation. They will rise to eternal judgment. And then those who are alive and remain will be caught up, which by the way, that's the word for rapture. Rapture comes from Latin, which is translated here in the Latin Bible, caught up. They're raptured together to meet Christ, meeting him in the air. And then we read along in chapter five that from the perspective of the lost, that, that they're saying peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. But all of a sudden, sudden destruction is gonna come upon them like childbirth when it comes upon a woman. And they will not escape. There will be no escape for those who do not know Christ at this time. One of these little Turing heaven books, I can't remember which one it was, they're all heretical. But one of them said that whenever I got to tour heaven, I went into this great banquet hall to where I saw Jesus there and there were two doors and I knew that that was the final, that was the final choice that all of us have, whether or not we're gonna go be with the Lord or whether we're gonna be away from him. Heresy, absolute heresy. Beloved, if you reject Christ in this life, there is no other chance. There is no purgatory. There is no great hall where you get to make a final choice. If you reject Christ, you go to hell for all eternity. Do not reject Christ. Today is the day of salvation. There is no purging. There is no great banquet hall. And the Holy Spirit does not work apart from the name Jesus Christ. There is one name under heaven by which we must be saved, the name Christ Jesus. And that goes for everybody. To suggest that people can be saved without Christ is, is to suggest that the Spirit works apart from Jesus and apart from the Father. It's heresy. You have the members of the Trinity working against each other. That, that's heresy. And so the final determination is that we will be resurrected and some, will, some of it will be to the destruction of the world. The destruction of the world. They're saying peace and safety. And then all of a sudden it will come suddenly. We already saw the cosmic signs of Christ's return, the day of the Lord. 
The sun is darkened. The moon and stars will not give their light. Earthquakes. The earth is literally going to fall apart. 1 Peter chapter 3. We read these verses sometimes. Verses 10 to 13. I say 1 Peter. I think it's 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. Sorry about that. 2 Peter chapter 3. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the roar. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for the hastening and coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense fire. When the, day of the, when the day of the Lord comes, it will mean the destruction of the earth. One of the things I always like to say, the environmentalists don't like what we're doing to the planet. Wait until they see what Jesus does to it. The destruction of the earth is coming. All those cosmic signs, the sun will cease to shine. The moon and the stars will cease to give their light. The earth will literally fall apart. Literally fall apart. Then we also see the resurrection of the dead. We saw the destruction of the world, but we see the resurrection of the dead. And I won't turn to these verses again, but Isaiah uh, 26, verse 19. Once again, I got those numbers wrong. Isaiah 26, verse 19 is the first clear promise of resurrection in the Old Testament. Um, uh, There are some hints of it in the book of Job. I know after my flesh is destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job somehow knew that beyond the revelation he had at the time. But the first clear promise is Isaiah 26, and we also saw in Daniel chapter 12. But when the day of the Lord comes, there is going to be a resurrection. These promises of the Old Testament is that when that final day of Yahweh comes, there will be destruction. But the Old Testament also promises that there will indeed be a resurrection. And as we are familiar, this will all take place at the coming of Christ. So once again, you see this connection that when the Old Testament speaks of the day of Yahweh, the New Testament shows us that it is Christ, it is Jesus who fulfills that, thus meaning that Jesus is in fact God. What started all of this was that that state of theology survey that said that one third of evangelicals agree with the statement that Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God. And we have seen from the Old Testament three weeks ago, we saw last week in his incarnation, and today we see in his future coming that the Bible is consistent that Jesus is God to the glory of the Father. He is our God. He is the fulfillment of all things that God said he himself will do. When the Bible says God will do it, Jesus is the one who will fulfill it. He is the one who comes. He is the one who came. He is the one who has fulfilled everything. So there will indeed be a resurrection. I know in, in, in funerals, we, we tend to 
emphasize what we call the intermediate state. And in all honesty, we don't quite understand it, but somehow the soul separates from the body and it is in the presence of the Lord in a, in a spiritual plane. And, and we're so thankful for that. To, to, be pre, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're so thankful for that. Jesus told the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. He, he told him that, and that was, a, that was a promise. But understand, the intermediate state is not our final hope. Our final hope is the resurrection, is that coming day when Christ comes again and the dead in Christ arise first and then those who are alive and remain are caught up with him. And we come to defeat his enemies with Christ and reign and rule for all eternity, living under his rule and his reign. All that happens at the second coming of Christ and, and so much more that I couldn't get into this morning. I just wanted to show you these connections. But there's one other connection you need to see and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Say, Randy, okay, I, I understand we need to understand how the Old Testament points to Christ being God. We need to understand how Christ testified of his deity and, and his incarnation. But this stuff just seems out there, man. I mean, this stuff seems, I mean, why do I need to know all this? What, what difference does this make? What's the importance of this? Why do I need to know about all these disturbances? Why do I need to know about a trumpet? Why do I need to know about an archangel? Why do I need to know about all these things? Why is this significant? Because in Matthew chapter 27, we saw that Jesus gave his life for us on Calvary's cross. We see the death of Jesus, but, but when Jesus died, some things happened. Some things happened that Matthew organizes for us very well. Some strange text that perhaps you've read before and wondered what in the world is going on here. When Jesus was dying on the cross in verse 45, for example, it says, now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. When, when Jesus died, the sun was darkened. We see the cosmic signs. In verse 51, it says, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. We see, the, we see the temple rendered obsolete, the, the abomination of desolation that renders the, when, when the Jews killed their Messiah, when, when the earth and when sinners crucified their Christ, when they crucified their God, it rendered the temple obsolete. And the veil of the temple was torn in two and there were great earthquakes and there was also rocks splitting. Maybe you've read this before, but in verse 52 and 53, we even see that there was a resurrection. We even see that there was a resurrection. The tombs were opened and the many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and the coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Tombs were opened and many of the saints were raised. Understand that at the death of Christ, we see the signs of the day of Yahweh. 
At the death of Christ, we see the signs of the day of the Lord. These signs show that the day of the Lord was being poured out on that day, but praise God, it wasn't being poured out on us. It was being poured out on Christ as our substitute. God is enduring his own day. God is facing his own wrath. Jesus endured the the day of Yahweh when he poured out his justice, poured out his righteous wrath against our sin upon his only son. God the son faced the terrible day of the Lord as our substitute. Jesus endured the day of the Lord so that when the full day comes by faith, you and I don't have to. So that you and I can be rescued from it. When Christ comes again, beloved, we will either stand under the protection of Christ who faced the day for us, or we will face that day on our own. And you do not want to be there. We will face his righteous wrath for our sin. He will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And we will obey him to our own destruction. We will go to a place of eternal torment, always dying, never dead. Place of eternal destruction, a place of separation, a place of darkness and torture and fire, a place of righteous wrath against our sin a place that you and I deserve for our rebellion against our wonderful, holy, and righteous God who is so merciful that on that day he provided for us a substitute so that you and I don't have to face it. He faced it for us. So once again, I come back to that question. Will you be one of his gathered elect when that trumpet sounds? Or will you be one of his destroyed enemies? Because right now, you have an option. Right now, you have the command to repent. And I pray this morning that if you're here under the sound of my voice, that you will repent and you will turn to Christ in faith. You will recognize him as Lord, trust in his full forgiveness of your sins and rest secure in the fact that Christ suffered the wrath of God for you. And because of that, praise God, we are forgiven. We find mercy. We find rest. We find peace. We find hope. We find a glorious future. And we find what a great day, great day that'll be. The one who died for me. When my Jesus, I see face to face. When you see Jesus face to face, will he be your friend or will he be your judge? That's up for you to decide. And I'd love to talk to you more about how you can turn to Christ in salvation, repenting of sins and trusting in his full work for you. Our Father, we thank you for these wonderful promises. We know that for us, 
They are promises. But for those who don't know you, they are warnings. Lord, I pray this morning, if there is one who does not know you here, that they will come to you regardless, Lord, of how long they've been attending church, how long they, how long ago it was that they just prayed a prayer or walked an aisle, but there's never been any real fruit. There's never been any real surrender to your lordship. There's never been any change of life. Lord, I pray this morning we would all reckon with our own hearts and we will examine ourselves to know that we know that we are truly in Christ. And Lord, I pray if there's one here who comes to an understanding that they are outside of your grace, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today. If you need prayer this morning or if you need counseling, if you need some hope in Christ, I'll stick around afterwards. You can come and talk to me. Let's stand together and let's sing this wonderful song.